Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. So we've been walking through the life of Paul and, and talking about this concept of, of darkness to light. And so today we want to take a look at a moment in Paul's life where it got very dark for him. But I, wanna, I want you to see, I want myself to see that it was only dark around him, but inside the lightness still shone. The lightness was still incredibly bright. Uh, in his uh, heart. And so we're going to see that uh, Paul had a, a, just a mission about him that we, we need to, should, and I want to just reflect uh, in my own life. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today. Uh, you might want to turn there. We'll be looking at a lot of the, the whole chapter, and so I'm going to pick some verses to kind of speed us up. But you would not offend me if you just started reading Acts chapter 16 right now. There's going to be a, an overall theme that I want to pull out of the, of the chapter. A lot of times we will we'll focus in right on the story and we'll only see what the story has to offer. But what I want to show us today and I want to pray that our, our eyes are open to is the process that took place before this event happens. Here's, here's what's going to happen. We're going to find Paul in prison. It's a pretty common story in Scripture that, that's talked about a lot. But he's, he's in prison, and while he is in prison, there is an earthquake, and, and basically, you know, if, if you can envision it in your mind, uh, the, the earthquake happens, the doors are open, the shackles come off, and rather than Paul making a run for it, as you and I would, and if, if you don't agree with me with that statement, then I'll just say, as I would. I mean, I would make a bolt for the door as fast as possible. But instead of doing that, Paul remained. And I want to talk about why he did that and why it was his instinct to do that. We find out that the earthquake happened, and then the jailer comes in, and here's Paul and everybody in prison, the people that were with him, and then also those that were imprisoned were at least watching Paul and his comrades uh, pray and sing hymns to God. And it's a fascinating story. But here's what I want you to grab out of it for us. It's a little bit of a long statement, but, but take a look at it. As we take steps in our journey of faith, he directs the details of our life. And I'm going to try and put that on the screen uh, quite a bit, but just as we take next steps in our journey of faith, he directs the details of our lives. And then he's going to do all of that for the accomplishment of his purpose and his glory. I'm going to use the word steps a lot, and, and that's also just a theme in our language here uh, at the church. But what is that next step that we would take? And what I want to really identify today is that the step we have taken this morning is really just a, a micro step in your life of coming to church. Because church is not always the step that we take. I want to talk about all the steps that we take throughout our life, 
beyond just coming to church on Sunday morning. Because if, if Sunday morning is the step that, that the church, resonate, whatever it would be, becomes the, the main thing, then we, we turn this moment into an event. And this moment was never intended to be an event. Yes, it happens every Sunday at 11 a.m., and I'm glad we're all here, and it's one of my favorite parts of the week. But this is not an event that we come to that has been accomplished in, you know, an hour and ten minutes. It is a staging uh, for our life that when we walk out the door, something great can be done through you and I. In fact, if you'll think about this room, uh, one of my my, my favorite things I've ever seen, I like looking at little signs places. I don't know. I love signs that are misspelled. I love signs that make no sense. And, you know, it's just, just kind of weird. But there was one that made all the sense in the world to me that was a weird sign. It was at my grandfather's funeral in Galveston. And uh, it was a very historic uh, church, you know, in Galveston. You can just picture the wood pews, the wood floor and all that. But right above the doors as you would leave the church out of the worship center. And it was those old signs that are really cool, like a black sign with the white letters. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and it would say, it said above each of them, servant's entrance. And I remember I was, I really don't remember how old I was, maybe 18 or something like that. But I remember looking at that and kind of thinking, what, what is, and then it hit me man, some pastor of this church got it, you know, that this is not what we do. This is where we prep. And then when we walk out those doors, we enter into service for the kingdom of God. And so as we take next steps in our journey of faith, he's going to direct those details. And so I hope you'll hang with me, and I hope that my words will not be my own, but they will be God's. And so I pray that you would open your heart to what God wants to share with you this morning. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the story we have of Paul. And Father, we thank you for the worship that we have already experienced. And Lord, we pray that your name will be glorified. Father, your uh, word would be glorified. And Father, as I speak, I pray that, that Lord, you would remove my words and replace them with your words. And Father, may all of our hearts, Lord, mine included, hear exactly what you want each of us to hear. And again, Father, remove all my personality, Father, all my awkwardness, and Lord, just replace it with the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so as we look, I want to I wanna kind of take a look at this concept. And so I want to ask you, I might be asking you a lot of questions today, but what is your, your natural bent? You know, we talk about there are people in our lives that have high motors. You know those people, they kind of exhaust you when you get around them because they're, they're just moving real fast like a chihuahua. But sometimes they're in a great direction, sometimes they're not in a great direction. I'm not one of those people. I aspire to be one of those people. I've got it for about 10 minutes after the first cup of coffee, and then all the other cups of coffee are seemingly ineffective in my life. But, but are you, regardless of your energy level, are you a, a passive person or are you an active person? What I mean by that is do you have a tendency to draw back and wait 
Or do you have a tendency to put a step forward and just move? And I think each of us that is in different scenarios and everything like that. But when it comes to our, our, our life as a Christ follower, for those of you who have stepped over that line of faith, when, uh, when it comes to our life as a Christ follower, are you more passive or are you active? And so my desire today is that we would bump us into an active uh, life of following Christ. There's a tendency that we can wait for God. In fact, we even sing songs about it. We can wait for God. We can pray. And we can uh, ask questions about when, where. But then sometimes we never take that actual step forward. And so just analyze yourself. Are you active or are you passive? When it comes to an emergency, I'll give you a little clarity on this concept. When it comes to an emergency, I go into passive mode. And for some reason, I don't know what, what you know, endorphins or whatever you would call it in my mind, when something of crisis happens, it's almost like a calm comes over me. And if I have a plan, I am the best guy and you want me there because I'll look at it logically. I'm not amped up. I'm not yelling. I'm not screaming. I'm calm. If I don't come up with a plan, I'm just a guy standing there in your way. And that's the difference. I'll never forget uh, at my house here in Magnolia, my nephew was in our back room and all the family was over. And my nephew screamed like you have never heard before. Like you, I thought he was dying literally in that back room. What ended up happening, if you know what a pack and play is, but it had folded. We didn't, and uh, I'll take me out of the equation. They didn't set up the pack and play right, right? That's how it goes. But no, I probably set it up. But, uh, but my nephew, he got, he got his finger caught in the pack and play and it had closed. Well, you know what a little kid does. They just keep on pushing. And so he was just screaming. We're in the living room watching TV. And you, you would expect a little more out of me, but that whatever happens in my brain happened and I went real calm. Everybody else got up and was just crazy and ran into the back room. But I didn't have a plan. And so I just sat there and literally nobody else was in the room. And I had this aha moment is I was still watching TV. My nephew might be dead and I am still watching TV, you know, not, not like intent on the TV show, but I had no plan. I'm passive and I'm just there. And the only thing I could think of is, you know what? I better at least get up and go watch what's going on in the other room. But it was a very, because I didn't know what to do, I was paralyzed and I didn't move. And now translate that to our, our Christian faith. If you don't know what to do next, many of us will be paralyzed and we wait. And we can even spiritualize it. You know, we'll, we'll sing a song, as I said earlier, you know, oh, I wait on the Lord, but, but, but we just wait. And what I want to challenge you today is that in our waiting, we are to be taking steps. Uh, Pastor Jesse was up here last week, and he brought out a truth that I had never considered, that when Paul was uh, converted on the road to Damascus, we talked about it a few weeks ago, great light shone around him, and uh, he was the 
greatest, like he was on a mission to defeat the way, which we call Christianity, and he, he got permission by the, the leaders of the day to bring anybody who followed the way back in chains. And he met Jesus. Uh, Jesus has already been resurrected. Jesus is in heaven, but he saw the light. It was Jesus. And he had a moment with Jesus that changed his life forever and turned him into the greatest proponent for the way. And he went on all these missionary journeys. And what Jesse had brought out is that there was eight years, eight to ten years, we don't know the exact time, in between that moment and then the moment that we actually see Paul making a move. And that's kind of fascinating to me because in my mind, man, the light shone, he got all fired up. If you read the story, he was, was you know, blinded for three days and all this. And to me, he just walked right out of there and started doing incredible things. But it was eight years in between. But then I want you to look. Look at Acts chapter 13. Turn back a few pages. I want you to see how Paul was not passive. And then I want you to see when did God make his move in Paul's life. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 to 3. It says, one day as these men, this Paul, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. In many ways on September 12th, that's the type of of ceremony, for lack of better words, that we are going to do over the Hardy family is that we are going to lay our hands on them, pray over them, and then send them in prayer with our support and our, our commitment to them that we will continue to support them. Well, that's what happened right here eight years after his conversion. But what we need to notice is Paul was not, he didn't go back to doing what he had always done. Paul was found praying, worshiping, and fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke. And so my challenge to you is is that God speaks when we are in motion. It's not that he does not speak when we're not in motion, but I just want you to look at the life of Paul in the Scripture, and I want you to notice that Paul just kept on taking steps, 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 and that's when the Lord spoke and he moved. Paul was not in an idle, passive position, folding his hands, just waiting. He was actually in motion, and I have to compare that to my own life. How often do I stop and become passive and almost make that a spiritual moment and be excited about, man, I cannot wait till the Lord calls me out into what I will do next. But my challenge today is, is that we already know what to do next. And when we take that step, God directs. So Charles Spurgeon, I came across this quote. It's quite interesting, a little bit offensive. And so I'm going to blame it on Charles Spurgeon, a great theologian. But he said this, every Christian or every Christ follower is either a missionary or an imposter. Think about that for a bit. I rarely consider myself a missionary because, you know, I didn't sell all my stuff and move to a foreign country. 
But what Charles Spurgeon says, he goes, every Christ follower is either a missionary or an imposter. If you know the definition of a missionary, and we've, we really talked about it a few weeks ago, we did a whole series on being an ambassador for Christ, and it's representing Christ everywhere we go. It's an active faith. And what, what Charles Spurgeon, he literally puts it, it, you're either a missionary or an imposter. And that's fascinating to me, because I don't want to be an imposter. And so to think that I am a missionary literally everywhere I go. I'm making an impact for Christ one way or another. Maybe you've had people in your life that have come back to you and like, like and I'll say it in the worst of terms, but I remember in high school, like a wretched dude came up to me that was, he, his mouth was foul, his actions were foul, and, and I had done something that was less than Christ-like. And he came to me and he said, man, I didn't expect that out of you. Well, what are you talking about? He goes, well, he goes, just kind of always thought you, you know, kind of did the church thing. And it, it made me realize there, man, I'm being watched, not just on Sunday morning between 11 and 12. I'm being watched all throughout the week. And what I do, I am a missionary for Christ in every moment of my day. And I am making an impact on Christ, for Christ, I should say, whether it's a good or bad. Now, what I want you to watch with Paul, okay, Paul, as he moves forward, the Holy Spirit is going to guide and direct him. So remember that statement. As we take next steps in our spiritual, in our journey of faith, he directs the details of our life. So as we move, as we take steps, God moves. He directs. Acts chapter 16, turn to verse 6, and if you'll read that with me, I'll have it on the screen. We also have some Bibles uh, under the chairs. Uh, occasionally, if you look, and if you need one, grab one. Those are free for you. If you need to give one to somebody, please do. But uh, So watch, watch what Paul and Silas began to do. And so here they are. This is right after the, the hands were laid on, on them, and, and they did have a plan, but if you'll watch, they really just start walking. You know, if I'm going on, if I would entitle it a missionary journey, I would have a destination. It's interesting when you look at Paul. They had a, they had a destination, but the Lord kept directing. And I want to make some, uh, uh, some conclusions about that as well. But just listen, this is the overall thing that's happening in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Verse 6, listen to what it says. The Holy Spirit basically said, no, don't go there. Okay. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Said no to Asia. Said no to this province. So instead, they went through Messiah, the seaport of Troas, and that night Paul had a vision. A man came from Macedonia in northern Greece and was standing there pleading with them, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul and Silas, as the story goes, they just simply said yes. What I want to point out, and I don't want to draw too much of a conclusion from it, but it's interesting in this a really pivotal point in Paul's life, 
God said no more than he said yes. Think about that. Now, I'm not saying that God speaks no more than he speaks yes. But if you'll look at this story, the written story that we have, God tells Paul and Silas no to certain things way more than he said yes. So what does that mean? Why would he do that? And so I want to get to that. And there's, there's a lot of mystery around, around how he forbid them. Uh, was it, you know, a, a audible voice? I have no idea. The scripture doesn't tell us. It leaves us at that. I would say if you are a Christ follower, you've stepped over the line of faith, you've probably had a moment where you just got a sense from the Lord that, you know what, that is something I am not to do. That is something I'm not to take part in. I'm not to go. And, and you've followed that, you know. But And then, you know, other times, just, you know, I don't, you know, whatever it would be, God will put that impression on our heart. But he often, in the case of Paul here, he said no a couple times. And then Paul just kept moving. And if you notice, when Paul was told no, what did he do? He just took the next step. He kept going. He kept moving forward. And so as as we look at that, I want us to see that he directs our steps as we step. And hopefully you're gathering the, the whole issue for today is that when we are in motion, God seems to be actively in motion with us. And I'll say for my own life, when I am idle, it seems like God is a lot more silent. And so I'm looking at this story, and I'm looking at Paul, and Paul just for eight years, he fasted, he prayed, he was doing things, he was moving forward, he was training, he was getting ready, he was prepping. Then God called him to step out in the midst of being active in his faith, doing what he knew to do, which was fasting and praying. And then as he began to start walking, the Lord said, nope, don't do that. Nope, don't do that. Hey, go over here. And Paul is just in this motion forward for God that cannot be denied. Now, as as we keep on going in the story, there's a lot of interesting things that happen before he ends up in prison. The long story short, and you can read it, you can read all the way through uh, verses 14 through 18, and then uh, then how they get there. But but bottom line, there was this slave girl uh, with a demon, and it's very interesting what, what she says to him. This slave girl with a demon, she's following Paul and Silas and really just down the street, and she's just shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. That sounds like a pretty good deal, but in reality, it was a mocking. It was, it was an evil spirit that was just mocking them, mocking them, mocking them. And to the point that what they were doing, they ended up falling in prison. Follow me in verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. And this was this slave girls uh, who, who kept on just shouting this at them as they go. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And then a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. 
The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon, clamped their feet in stocks, and then around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Let's stop at the praying. They just got beat by wooden rods. They're severely beaten, the scripture says. They're chained in stocks. They're in an inner dungeon, meaning that they can't see their hand in front of their face. It's a terrible situation. And they are praying. And so I don't need you to answer out loud, but just quickly, what is your knee-jerk reaction that you would be praying for at that moment? I would be praying for protection and freedom. Protection and freedom. And here's what I submit to you. Paul didn't pray for either of those things in the midst of this terrible thing that was happening to him. And and here's the reason why. It said, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. And so here Paul, he's praying and And I'm telling you, he's not praying for freedom. He's not praying for protection. I'm telling you, he's worshiping. They're praying and they're singing hymns to God, just like we just did. The doors immediately fly open and the chains of every prisoner fall off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors were wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, and so he drew his sword to kill himself. Here's what Paul knew. Paul probably saw a little bit of light in the dungeon as the door opened. Only the jailer could come in and do that. And then, well, he probably saw a lot of light because the place was blown to pieces. But here he is. He's no longer shackled. The jailer is coming. The jailer draws his sword. And as the sword is coming out of the sheath, his, his instinct is not that he's about to get killed because he knows this important fact. If a prisoner escapes on the jailer's watch, And the jailer was a pretty good gig back in the day, but it had one stipulation. If your prisoner got away, you were sentenced to death. And so as Paul heard that sword come out of the jailer's sheath, he knew that the jailer was about to kill himself because there's no way all those people would still be there. And so Paul yells this. He shouted, he goes, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. And so I submit to you, if he was praying for freedom and protection, Paul would no longer be in the room. If he were praying for freedom and protection, when the earthquake came and the shackles came off and they could see light out the door, you know what they would do? They would say, thank you, God, for the freedom you just provided. And they would bolt. But that's not what they were praying for. Why? Because Paul was on a mission. His life stood apart, and he was, he was on a next step for God, not for himself. And so to run out the door would indicate that he had been praying for freedom, but the reality is he's not. He's praising God. In fact, everything is falling into place because he wants more people to know uh, Christ. And so while our prayers are, are sometimes very telling, in fact, you think about it, our prayers can kind of reveal our intentions. And I'm talking to myself here. Trust me. But often my prayers are like this. God, protect me. God, use me. God, show me. God, give me. God, place me. Protect me. 
Use me, show me, place me, give me. There's nothing wrong with any of those prayers. I'm not trying to knock those prayers out of your arsenal, okay? But I'm asking, are those the only prayers that we pray? Or are we praying to be used by God and to move forward? I don't think Paul in there was praying, protect me. I don't think he was praying, uh, show me, give me, place me, maybe use me. I think he was praying that. But he wasn't waiting. And then when the unlikely opportunity came, he didn't run out the door to do something different. He stayed because he knew there was purpose right there in prison. I say all that to say this. What if in our lives as Christ followers, each of us, what if we just started doing what we already knew to do? Think about that for a second. Sometimes we're waiting on God to direct that next step, which to us, sometimes it takes us out of our ordinary day. But what I submit to you today is that maybe God is just saying, stay the course in what you're doing and I'll direct you where to go. What if we just started doing what we already knew to do? If you ever pray for God's will, think about this. Here's what we already know. God wants your affection. God wants quality time from you alone with him. He wants you to abide in his word. He wants you to pursue righteousness. He wants us to flee immorality. He wants us to share the gospel. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to teach others. He wants us to love him with all our heart. He wants us to love others as ourselves. He wants us to defend the weak and needy. He wants us to help those who are powerless. If you put that on your task list, you're pretty busy. That's a lot to accomplish. And so when I look at Paul, I'm thinking, what if my life emulated his that as he's walking, he's letting the Lord direct him. As he's moving forward, he's letting the Lord direct him. He's not saying, what should I do? He's saying, God, thank you for placing me right here in this situation in the middle of jail because I'm going to do what you've already told me to do. And that's to abide in you. That's to protect the needy. That's to, to love you. That's to share the gospel. That's to baptize others. And he goes and does that. And he does all this in the context of a place that he could have ran from. And so many times, I think we get stuck in our own job, we get stuck in our own neighborhood, we get stuck in, in our own, own places in our life, and we wait because we want God to call us out of that situation and go do something for Him. And, and what I want to look at today in the context of this passage is that I don't think God, He will sometimes, but he might have already placed you exactly where he wants you. And so rather than moving you into what you consider freedom, maybe he is asking you to do the things he's already told you to do right where you are, right where I am. A couple more quotes. Oswald Chambers said this when you're walking through the woods. The only time you ask where the path is is when you're off the path. What does Scripture say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Verse 6, seek His will in all that you do. 
That's active. That's not just standing. That's not just being still and waiting for him to tell you something to do. It's saying, seek his will in all that you do. Wherever you are, whatever you do in the moment, seek his will. What does he want you to do? Adrian, Adrian Rogers, another theologian, he says this, the way to find God's will for the rest of your life, and I love this, listen closely, the way to find God's will for the rest of your life is to do God's will for the next 15 minutes. How true is that? <laughs> I mean, think about it. We are so focused on trying to find God's will. Adrian Rogers, he puts it pretty clearly. The best way to find it is to just engage in what he's already told you to do for 15 minutes, and you'll probably have it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. He didn't say go quit your job living a, under a bridge somewhere. He said be a living sacrifice right in the cubicle that I gave you. Be a living sacrifice right in the home that I just placed you to do this job. Be a living sacrifice right where you are and, and be that sacrifice for him. Be a missionary for him, not an imposter. Our lives should be so appealing to others that everywhere we go, we make a difference uh, for him. Listen to what the jailer said. Verse 29. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Remember that his life is on the line. If any of those guys escape, not just Paul and Silas, but any of the other guys, if they escape, then it's the death sentence for him. And he would rather kill himself than have them come and kill him. Then he brought them out and he said, sirs, asking all of them, what must I do to be saved? And if you have not taken the, that crossing over the line of faith, if you've not taken that step of faith, then I want you to lean in a little bit to what Paul and Silas told the jailer because it's a very simple uh, solution. The jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And they simply said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And I want to stop right there. If you believe right now that you've got a free ride to heaven because someone else in your household is going to heaven, you got it wrong. And I think that's a danger in, in the church today, in our culture, is that we will think, well, we came to church, you know, mom's a Christian or dad's a Christian, that, you know what, I, I'm going to ride their coattails on in. That's not what the scripture is saying at all. What Paul told them, he said, believe in the Lord and you will be saved. And then he got a little prophetic and then he got a little bit just talking about what God would want for his family. And he says, along with everyone in your household, that's what God would want. And it says, and they shared the word of the Lord with him. And all who lived in his household, even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. The entire household got baptized. But don't miss verse 34. The one stipulation to salvation is belief. 
He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced. Why? Because they all believed in God. And so I just want to ask you that question we've been asking you for a couple weeks. Have you taken that next step in your spiritual journey? Have you stepped over the line of faith? And so really, I've, I've kind of got two different scenarios. If you're in the room and you're a Christ follower, I want to ask you, just take a step of what God has asked you to do. In fact, you might find out that that cruddy job you're in, that cruddy neighbor, what, wherever you are, you might find out that you were strategically placed there by God to do the things that he's already asked you to do to make a difference for his kingdom. And so don't allow one step out of your day to not be directed by God. Let him, let him show you in the path of what you to do. If, if you've never stepped over the line of faith, you're still on that journey to faith, as we call it, I want to ask you just to declare your belief. Would you believe in him and accept him into your life? I'm going to be up here uh, afterwards. Claiborne will be up here as well. And if, if you have something you need to talk to us about, man, we are available. And I want to pray, but I, I would just ask you as I pray that you would pray in your own heart is what is God's next step for you? Father, we love you, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for Paul. I thank you for Acts chapter 16. And I thank you how you directed him. And Father, he was in motion. And so, Father, I pray for me as I, as I seek to follow you, that you would just keep me in motion. And Father, the moment I think about just waiting around for what you would ask me to do, Lord, I pray that you would remind me of what you've already asked me to do and that I would take steps in that direction. Father, if there's someone here who doesn't know you that has not taken that step of belief in you, I pray that they would be bold enough to do that today. And Father, we again, we just give you this morning and we thank you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.